You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. How many of you were singing that song at least when you left here last week? A few people? A few people? It's been ringing in my ears. Probably me more so because I'm staring into it for four weeks straight and for a lot of weeks leading up to that. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how the Lord brings us to places in Scripture way ahead of where we uh, know we'll be needing it. You know, it happens to me all the time. In fact, we prep and plan our sermon series months in advance. Right now, we just finished our first stage of prepping for the whole next year of sermons. And obviously, God changes those sometimes, and God redirects a little bit. And as we seek and pray, He moves us along. Uh, but it's not surprising to me that uh, I would have some experiences this week that would point me to uh, scriptures about conflict and being offended. In fact, let me share with you the one that uh, hit me probably the most surprising this week. It happened yesterday. It was uh, at a time where I had just finished uh, running. My wife and I had been trying hard to lose a little weight, get in shape, and do all those good things. And we were out front in front of the house, and uh, we were doing some sprints. I'm not going to name the person that I wanted to cuss in my mind, but did not. Thankfully, I stayed holy uh, for setting those sprints up for me in my workout. But uh, I will say that it was really hard, <laughs> uh, 50 meters and back several times, 75 and back several times, and 100 and back several times. And uh, towards the end of that, I stopped, and I was by the, I was by the, uh, the, the mailbox, and I had my water on top of the mailbox, and my phone that kind of yells at me to keep going uh, with the app I use. And um, I was standing there, and all our kids were down there. They were riding their bikes with us and getting in our way and all the stuff that kids do, you know. And I was standing by the mailbox, and um, I was just catching my breath. You know what you do when you run a whole lot and you're about to die, like you think you're literally about to die? You put your hands over your head to extend this area here so that you can get more air in there easier. So I was doing that. <gasps> and my shirt, I'm sure, was a little high, you know. And my oldest son looked at me. I said, hey, Dad. Yeah, brother. What is it? He said, uh, you know what? You're doing really good. I'm like, thanks. Thanks, thanks. He goes, yeah, if you lose just a little bit more fat, you'll be perfect. <laughs> I was greatly offended. <laughs> Immediately, all the stuff I've been studying for the last several weeks came flooded my mind, and the Lord helped me to not get mad about it, but I still felt offended. And uh, I just said, thanks, brother. I, I love you. <laughs> You know, we are going to be hit with things that offend us, and we're going to be hit with things that are sinful and some that are not that still offend us, but what we do with that and how we address that is of the utmost concern for the church of Jesus Christ. It is so important that we deal with offenses and conflict in the biblically right way, in the Jesus-directed way. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. This is where we're going to be today. Let me say it like this, this whole series, the statement that is ever-present throughout this series, one that I heard Tim Keller use, and I've kind of co-opted it for our series, it's ever so true, is that the gospel of Jesus always leads to radically altered relationships. The gospel of Jesus always leads to radically altered relationships. And as I said a few weeks ago, and I will continue to say in every moment that we talk about threats to the church, the greatest threat to the church of Jesus will always come from those inside the church. Let me say what I mean by that. The darkness outside will never, can never extinguish the light of the glory of God in the people of God. 
Darkness is always dispelled by the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The society that surrounds us can never thwart the effectiveness, can never thwart the efficiency, can never thwart the plan of God for his kingdom through the people of God. No matter what our government allows us to do or says we can't do, no matter what people in the world around us tell us we can or can't do or try to stop us from doing, God's will and his kingdom will go forth. Nothing outside of his church can stop his church because he is all powerful and he's all glorious. And just like it tried to be stopped, they tried to stop it back 2,000 years ago by putting Jesus on a cross, it did not do anything except expand the kingdom. And just like they tried to stop it by dispersing all those and killing all those who were believers in Jesus, all it did was expand the kingdom. And nobody outside of us will ever be able to stop the church because we are on the mission of God who is over all things and is the king of the universe. But if God's people are not obedient to the word of God, then the people of God will be what causes great harm to the church of God. It is always that way. Hear me right. Conflict within the church is inevitable. It's inevitable because we are sinners saved by grace. There will be conflict. It will be messy sometimes because we are sinners. All of us are sinners. Conflict is inevitable in the church. And such conflict, when handled biblically, will never be what destroys the church. Will never be what destroys the church. But when the conflict Christians have between one another is not handled according to Scripture, such begins the downgrade of the faith family. That's the way it goes. Thankfully... Jesus has given us a three-step process for addressing conflict within the church. Now, it is simple, but it is not easy by any stretch. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God. We need the Lord to humble us. We need all this in order to abide by it and walk in it. But it is there, and it is a three-step process the Lord is going to walk with us through today in his word. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. I'm going to read through it one time. I'll pray and we'll unpack. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Obviously that means within the will of God, according to Scripture, right? Or he wouldn't give it. Verse 24, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And we've heard that verse used a lot, haven't we? It's specifically used in the context of conflict. Isn't that good? Where two or more of you are gathered in my name, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Father, we need your hand to guide us this morning. We need your spirit to prick our hearts, to make us sensitive to your word, to shape us according to it, that we might look more and more like Jesus. 
Lord, reveal in our hearts where we need to repent of our own sin. And then help us to be obedient to your word about how to address sin and others toward us. Lord, we love you. We need you. We know you're with us. We ask you to guide us and change us. In Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I want you to first focus on that last phrase. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I'm going to give you three major points today as we look through three sections of this passage. And the first is this. The Jesus way of addressing conflict is always, always aimed at restoration and reconciliation. The Jesus way of addressing conflict is always, always aimed at restoration and reconciliation. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It's not if he listens to you, you won the argument. (laughs) If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It doesn't even mean that he has to agree with you totally. (laughs) If he listens to you and you're able to reconcile, you have gained your brother. That's the implication here. It's never about winning the argument. It's always about gaining your brother or sister in Christ. The goal is always about seeking restoration and reconciliation. This is how we best love one another when it's not easy to do so. Jesus gives us as much in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you might say, I love all my brothers and sisters. I just don't like some of them. I understand. That's not what this is saying. In fact, let's think about it for a second. Put it in the context of conflict. Because you know why Jesus came? Conflict. You know why Jesus came? Because there was conflict here on the earth between the people God had created for his glory. And they had not done what was right. We have not done what is right, and therefore we deserve punishment for that. But Jesus came to extend grace and mercy to resolve the conflict and restore us. That is what it means to love. Love here means to love that he would step out of eternity to become one of us, to live the perfect life we could not in order to seek and to save the lost. That's us. So that he could bring us into relationship with him so that we could be restored to the relationship with God so that we could be reunited with him in that way so that we could be with him forever. And he did that even to the point of death on the cross, dying in our place for our sins so that we could be brought back to him. That is reconciliation. That is restoration and conflict. And he says here, listening in that way, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Leviticus 19 is not just New Testament. Verse 17 and on says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. And Jesus tells us that if you're angry with him, you've committed murder, right? He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You hear that? So you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Same thing talked about here. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults. Our responsibility is the one who's offended to go to the one who's offended us 
He says, the command is go. That's a commanding word. And tell. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here it says Leviticus. Old Testament. Old school, right? You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You might be offended by someone who even sinned against you, but if you don't rightly go to them and talk to them about it, you might incur sin on yourself. That's crazy, isn't it? The way it works in my heart, at least, is this. Somebody offends me, I get mad, I want to vent about it, and I want to write them off. That's what happens in my heart. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. I haven't written you off. (laughs) You've offended me way more times. And you know what? They may not have even really done anything wrong. Right? That is the case a lot of times, I find, in my own personal endeavors to find conflict resolution, that when I feel someone's sinned against me, oftentimes it's nothing more than a misunderstanding or uh, a mishearing or just a miscommunication. Sometimes it's because of sin, me or them. He says here, this has to begin on the personal level, like everything in our faith family. It has to begin on the personal level between the offending party and the one offended. It is the responsibility, I'll say it again, responsibility of the one who has been sinned against to go directly to the one who has committed the sin. Go and tell. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We have the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled. We're going to hit that at the end again. Say it again. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled. Jesus, our reconciler. James 1, 19 through 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you know me well, at least the middle one is slow for me. Not that I'm slow at it, but it's slow for me to do it. I'm a pastor, I talk a lot, slow to speak. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is a good reminder for my heart on a daily basis. This must be done by the one offended going directly to the one because the other person may not even know they've offended you. And it must be done between you and him alone. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Between you and him alone. It must be bathed in prayer. And if you're unsure if you should even do it, then yes, seek wise counsel from someone more spiritually mature than you, which might be your spouse or it might be another brother or sister in the church that you look up to, someone that's your accountability partner, that will seek the Lord for you, pray with you, and try to give you advice from Scripture. But we are commanded to go to the individual directly and to them alone. That should be the first step, always, always. James 5, 19 and 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Is this going directly to the person and to him alone at first? The first step is very helpful to ensure the possibility of a quick reconciliation and restoration. Once we begin to bring in other people without addressing the person directly, it begins to become much more conflated and much more difficult to address in a way that does not further break down the relationship. You know what I'm saying. Like if, somebody, if somebody comes to you directly and talks to you, you can deal with them alone. If they bring several people into the knowledge that before they come to you, now you feel humiliated. Now you feel ashamed, right? If you've done something wrong or even if you haven't. So it's important that we adhere to the scriptures that say this. This helps ensure the possibility of quick reconciliation. 
It's always more difficult to render reconciliation and restoration when we don't go to that person first and foremost and do so alone. Now, let me say this. There's some caveats to that. If you feel like you're in danger, you don't need to go to that person alone. Not just physically, but emotionally. If you feel like that person is going to bully you, if you feel like that person is going to be a jerk, you must, you know, in a hard way that's going to be, like, you feel in danger, you need to not go to that person alone. Hear me right. I'm not saying somebody that's been abused needs to go to their abuser directly alone. I'm not saying that. Hear me right. You can be wise in how you do this. But in general, in almost most other conflict, especially within the faith family, we should go to that person directly. And even when we are sure that we were sinned against, the situation might not be the way we initially perceive it. You ever been there before? Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The only way to find out and begin the conflict resolution process is to go directly to that one. And if they listen to you, that's the word, if they listen to you, you have gained your brother. Make sure we're clear. Even if you don't always agree on the outcome, if they listen to you and they try to be a part of restoration, then you've gained a brother. It doesn't mean you're always going to agree on everything. Listen, if there is sin, there must be repentance. No arguments or doubts about that. Amen? The, the scriptures are clear. If you sin and it's made aware to you that you sin because you're unaware or because you just didn't think about it, it doesn't matter. If you sin, you need to repent. But if the issue is not a sin, then restoration and reconciliation must always trump our preferences and our opinions in the body of Christ. The relationship is more important than our preferences or opinions. And we need to make sure that we see if it's a preference or an opinion or a sin. And sometimes we just, most of the time I think, we don't even know unless we go to the person that we've been offended by. That's why Jesus is so wise in his statement, of course. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Biblical conflict resolution is not about being right. It's about being restored in relationship to one another. J.C. Ryle, you know, I like this guy. He presses on my heart and makes me really need to repent by bringing things to light that otherwise sometimes I do not see as he expounds the scriptures. He says about this passage, the passage is a beautiful instance of the mingled wisdom and tender consideration of our Lord's teaching. What a knowledge it shows of human nature. Nothing does so much harm to the cause of religion as the quarrels of Christians. No stone should be left unturned. No trouble spared in order to prevent their being dragged before the public. What a delicate thoughtfulness it shows for the sensitiveness of poor human nature. Many a scandalous breach would be prevented if we were more ready to practice the rule of, quote, between thee and him alone. Happy would it be for the church and the world if this portion of our Lord's teaching was more carefully studied and obeyed. Differences and divisions there will be, so long as the world stands. But how many of them would be extinguished at once if the course recommended in these verses was tried? Brothers and sisters, from experience, I'm going to say it is not easy to do that. I get anxious when I have to go to someone that I've been offended by. It makes me nervous. It makes me question myself. I think that's good. I think it makes us go to the Lord. Pray for humility. Lord, make sure this is what I need to do. And if it is, Lord, give me humility as I go. It's what we need. But man, going to that person directly would have assuage a lot of heartache and to go to them alone. Secondly, verse 16, 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So again, just repeating in my own words, if our initial effort does not result in reconciliation when we go to the one who has offended us, then it's time to enlist the help of others. We're in a faith family, right? You bring somebody in to help you. Now these witnesses, let me make sure we're clear here, these witnesses, if you look at the context of this and other places in Scripture, these witnesses are not others who necessarily have seen or experienced the same thing you have experienced. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying bring witnesses to the confrontation. Bring witnesses to the discussion. They don't have to be witnesses to the event. They need to be witnesses there. See, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If we were talking about bringing others who agreed with you on this ahead of time, it would be the same thing as saying bring others with you who uh, have agreed with you, others who are claiming against this person, others who are offended or have been sinned against. Okay, So it's talking about bringing witnesses that you trust. In other words, these witnesses are other mature believers who can go with you to ensure both parties are working toward biblical reconciliation. Because speaking for self, sometimes I think I'm pretty sure I'm right, but it's not always the case. Often it's not. And so it's good to have someone else there who will be a mature believer who knows the word of God, who can listen and discern and make sure that all things are done in a biblically right way. These witnesses are for accountability, for advice, the process of seeking restoration. They should know the word. They should walk by the word. They should be mature in the faith. And this means that even the offended party, that's me, if I'm offended, even the offended party must also be ready and willing to heed the input of such witnesses. That we're willing to say, maybe I'm wrong here. But that's the only way we're going to gain our brother, right? I've offended you. Let's, let's talk about it. You offended me. Maybe you didn't really. Maybe I have something here, right? I mean, the humility before the Lord that we are sinners and we need grace must drive all of our relationships, especially in conflict. It's easy to be gracious to one another when there's no conflict, right? It's easy to tell my son I love him when he doesn't tell me I'm fat, <laughs> Not so easy when he looks at me and tells me I'm fat. A little bit more and it'd be perfect, right? That's more difficult. That's all, all the more reason that we need grace. Look at verse 17 and 19, for the third and final of the points. If he, the one who has sinned, if he refuses to listen to them, to the witnesses and to the individual that came to him first of all, one-to-one, and then to the witnesses that came with him next time, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Whoa. Did y'all see that? That's a huge statement. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That means an unbeliever. That would have been the farthest of the unbelievers in the eyes of those that were listening to this. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this is the same thing he said to Peter earlier. Now he's saying it to the other disciples. He's saying it to the church now. Again, I say to you, verse 19, if two of you agree on earth about anything they seek, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Of course, within the realm of God's will. That's why if you seek him and seek that together, it will be done. Okay? 
This call comes from verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That seems a bit much on the surface, doesn't it? That's how serious conflict is to the Lord. That's how serious unrepentant sin is to the Lord and to his glory. When we do not repent of sin, it defames the name of Jesus. When we will not seek restoration and reconciliation, it defames defames the name of Jesus. It tarnishes the glory of the gospel. We must seek reconciliation and restoration. The greatest threat to the church will always come from within the church, and such conflict is as serious as serious gets. Even at this point, the goal is always reconciliation. Now, the people listening to this that were not the disciples, that were not in Jesus' insider group, would have heard this and said, treat him as a Gentile and a tax collector, have nothing to do with him. Jesus, what did he do? He went to them. He sought them to see them come to salvation. He loved them. This isn't saying you excise some, excommunicate them as if like, get out of here, you're done, never come back. This is, brother, you are acting as an unbeliever. Please repent. You're not repenting of sin. Please repent. This is not about preferences, by the way. That's why the word is really important in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, and then the witnesses say, yes, this is a sin, you need to repent. And then the church says, yes, this is a sin, you need to repent. If you will not listen, let him be to you as a tax collector and as a Gentile. He's saying, at that point... You, brother, you, you don't repent. You're not acting like a believer. You can't have the, the rights and privileges of membership right now. We see Paul do this in other places in the Scripture where he puts them outside and he says, I give them over to Satan in hopes that they will come to faith, that they will repent and come to the Lord. That I give their bodies over that their soul may be saved. But let me say this. Nobody wants to ever go through this. And in my years as being a pastor, student pastor, interim pastor, Lead pastor, I have never in a church discipline situation with church conflict between two people in the church ever seen it go this far. I've seen people leave over conflict, but never where somebody had to be told, you, you cannot be a part of this faith family in the same way you have been right now because you're unrepentant. But I've seen gloriously good things come from rightly handled biblical conflict. I'll give you a bad one and a good one. I served on a staff where there was a man who was leading worship at a church part-time. That man was arrested in the papers that said that it was for assault of his wife, third-degree assault. It also said that he, had been, he was inebriated. came out that the reason they were arguing and that he was assaulting her was because he had been caught in an adulterous affair with someone where he worked. That Sunday morning, he was brought up on stage by the pastor, the lead pastor. That morning... The man said before the congregation, I'm sorry that I did anything to hurt your feelings, church. I didn't mean to to bring you any harm. But he did not repent of his sin. He did not confess his sin as a leader of the church and repent of his sin. And the pastor then handed the mic back over to him after asking for everybody to pray for him and just accept him back in the fold. And that man continued to lead that church in worship that morning. My heart was already broken. After we were done, I could not even stand there. I had to step outside the room because I was so broken. I went to him. I begged him, brother, you need to take some time off. You need to, you need to, 
go restore with your wife. You need to seek your wife out right now. If she's been betrayed by you, you need to repent. His biggest concern was, I was not drinking that night. I don't care if you were drinking a glass of wine. The Bible doesn't even say that's wrong. I care that you've stepped out on your wife. That you just led our faith family in worship and you're unrepentant. He refused to listen. I went to the pastor. The pastor vehemently got in my face and told me to stay in my lane. He was handling this. He had made a decision and I was to stick to that. I could not shake it. Much prayer and seeking of others. I went to the personnel committee and I sought them to do what was right and leading him to take some time to seek after his family. And when I stepped to go to that meeting, I was stopped at the door by the chairman of that committee that said to me, I know what you told us and what the Bible says, but we're not going to do it that way here. My heart failed me. The church spiraled down, going from over 800 plus to under 500 before the Lord took me out of there. The greatest threat to the church is never from outside the faith family. It's always from inside the faith family. And the easiest way to solve it is just to be repentant. The easiest way to solve it is just to be after restoration and reconciliation in our relationships. Last story of it. Another faith family where I was the lead pastor. There was a man who we found out, I noticed, in some financial transactions that he had been spending church funds in a way that was not for church things. It was on self. It was a small amount, around 200 a little over $200 total over about a month's time. I addressed it with him. He immediately broke down. He immediately repented. He said, I'll do whatever I have to do to restore myself with this faith family. So the next business meeting, we asked him to step before the church and resign his deaconship. He did so, and he read a letter. He confessed. He repented. He cried. He was broken. And in that moment, the church body got up. They gathered around him. They hugged him. They cried with him. They prayed for him. And they restored their relationship with him. He could not be in leadership at that time. But he was restored to the faith family. And it was sweet. And it was good. And it was glorious for the Lord. It was glorious for King Jesus. And it was good for all those involved. Biblical conflict is inevitable in a faith family. But how we deal with it determines the glory of the Lord in us and through us. Let us always seek to love the offender, to desire the restoration, and to be open to the fact that we might be in wrong. And when we are, may we repent immediately and fully, confessionally. And if they repent and seek restoration and reconciliation, then we lovingly accept their efforts. We may not let them back in leadership, or we may not let them back in teacher position. We may not let them back into some environments, depending on the sin. But we love them and we restore them, because that's what Jesus has done for us. The last part of this is a beautiful reminder, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the context of the church and of the witnesses and of the two in conflict even. 
The reminder is this, that even in the most difficult moments of conflict, God is there with us. Praise the Lord. We're never alone. We're never on our own. The Lord is always in our midst. And if we are sensitive to his Holy Spirit, he will restore us. He will reconcile us because that is the way of the gospel. That is the way of Jesus. I'll leave us on 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, which is an ever-present pressing into my heart of Scripture from the Holy Spirit about these type things and all types of reconciliation. Paul says to the church at Corinth, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are a new creation, and our relationships have been radically altered by the gospel. This is good news. All this is from God, he says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our mission, holy, entirely, is to be ministers of reconciliation. That means to the world around us that does not yet know God, they might be reconciled to him through the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. And our mission internally is to be ministers of reconciliation to the brothers and sisters God has given us, whether in our families, in our faith family, in our Sunday schools, in our, in our work relationships. We are ministers of reconciliation. It's our responsibility as God is shaping us into the image of Christ to seek out the offender just as Jesus has sought us out, to pursue the offender, just as Jesus has pursued us, to then reach out for them and try to reconcile with them, being humble like Jesus, so that we might see the relationship restored as Jesus has restored our relationship with God, and then to respond with overflowing joy and thanksgiving at the restoration in that relationship and in our faith family. This is the way of Jesus. Biblical conflict will come. The question is, will we respond in the biblical way according to the way of Jesus? Listen, I am a sinful man. I am a horrible man in my soul. The Lord brings clarity and redemption and reconciliation daily between he and I. And he has done that so many times in relationships in my life and not all the time or even often because I sought it. But the Lord will bring it if we seek him and seek one another the way he sought us. Let us be that church. For then the world will see that we are his. For then the world will see that we love him as he first loved us. That is something the world wants. That is something the world will be drawn to. As Christ is lifted up, he will draw men to himself. May that ever be our desire and our plea. May it be 
what God uses us to do within and without in this place. Lord, we need you. As we sang every hour, we need you. Lord, we need you in the midst of every moment in every place in every relationship. And Lord, we especially need you in times of conflict. So Lord, if there's people here now that are not in right relationship with you, I beg you to draw them to yourself, that they would repent and believe in you, that they would follow after you because you have pursued them. Lord, if there's anyone here that has not been right with you, that you would redeem them this morning, your spirit would woo them, and they would repent of their sin and believe on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And for those of us in your faith family, Lord, if there's something in our heart that we're holding against another, that you would press in us to go and pursue them as you state here, to go and to try to go to the offending brother and to see if it's sin and to include others when and if necessary, but to go to them alone first and to seek out the salvation of that relationship, that reconciliation. But Lord, whatever it takes to restore that relationship, would you lead us in that path? Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Lord, I ask all of this in the glorious and beautiful and saving name of your son, Jesus. In his name, I ask and pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.